Should we really be trying to form a theocracy? Should the Christians be in charge? Is Jesus really in charge? Join us today. We have a pastor who's not here just trying to pray for us, but trying to get a message out. Stick with us today. You're going to love the show. We're literally debating that it's bad that people get to say what they think. Can you imagine? I'm reading Psalm 144, and it says, He trains my hands for war. We are on the brink of total destruction of America as we know it. Let your rebel flag fly. Welcome into this week's edition of Alabama Unfiltered, your favorite podcast. Always remember you can find us at 1819news.com. Find us at all the places where you find your podcast. Tell your friends about us. Give us a thumbs up. Give us five stars. That is how this program grows. I am one of your hosts. Amy Beth Shaver is another one. Allison Sinclair, who is looking very small and... <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> I always look like a giant. And because so you keep jacking the chair I know, up but all I'm the going time. For little, you as tall as me. Little. Now you're doing little. Little Allison. Little Next Allison. week I'll be big. Did you I, say your name? I did at the okay. start. I said I was right. one of your hosts. Well, do you want? Okay. Yeah. But we're not getting to him yet. He's a special guest okay. that Abs is going to tell us about. Abs, I, how are you? I am good. How are y'all? I'm doing fantastic. It's a great day. Well, it is a great day, especially because we have a pastor in studio with us oh, today. That means and I have for, to act better. You listen. I've already blown that with the whole straight. thing. You know, that it's somebody fine. sent me. Okay, it's I'm fine. Sorry. We're all sinners. Do you hate it when people say that? No, I don't. You, you don't. Okay, yeah. It's <laughs> like, like, like everybody. <laughs> yeah, act right. Yeah, act right. Talk right. Don't <laughs> yeah. say anything, pastor. Oh, I, I was really thinking about. I was doing my quiet time this morning, pastor. <laughs> y'all just do, do, do they do that? Yeah. How about y'all, y'all just <laughs> do yourselves? <laughs> so, so I don't know. So here's the deal. We have talked a, a lot. Would you not agree? In the last year that we've been on the air, about a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. But one of the most popular podcasts we ever had was the one that we did about COVID in the church that Megan mm-hmm. Masham wrote for the Daily Wire. Yeah. And it was really exposing, and actually Eric Kahn gave us that article, mm-hmm. exposing this whole like Rick Warren, Davos, Cabal situation, obey, don't think for yourself. Right, right, right. And it was really bothersome to a lot of people. And so since then, worldview issues continue to come up. Right. And that was and, the master plan and, and that, of how do we yes. get evangelicals or church people to to do what we tell them. Right. And we kind of tell them, hey, if you're a really good person, you would do what we want you to do. That's right. That's okay. So that's what we're, that's what we're so, going off So that was the jumping off point. That was my, we really, really need to talk to a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about worldview. And I know we do. We want to talk about worldview. But also, what do you do when situations like that happen? Because that's not going to be the last time that we're told by people, if you're good, you'll do this, this, and this. Even though now, today, breaking news, New York Supreme Court reinstated all employees fired for being unvaccinated and ordered back pay. Now, we know politics can't save us. Only Jesus Christ saves. Right. Right. But so much of this has gotten woven into our society. And so how do we pull that apart? Mm-hmm. What does worldview mean? What does it look like? How can we pass it along to our kids? Mm-hmm. Um, because those are the things that last. The gospel lasts. And then it spills into Christians living out their faith wherever they are. And that just so happens that sometimes it ends up changing community. Is that fair? That's right. Yeah. So we have in studio with us Pastor Rich Lusk. He is at Trinity Presbyterian Church. That's correct. In Birmingham. And y'all are a part of a newish denomination. Can you tell us about that and tell us about yourself? Yeah, the CREC, the Communion of Reformed and Evangelical Churches. So we're a conservative, reformed denomination. Most of our churches uh, have got very traditional worship with hymns and psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, very liturgical. Uh, I'd say we're very uh, unwoke. You, you, that's one way right. you can describe us. Uh, so we tend to be, uh, some might say traditional, I would say biblical on the social issues. So that's really important to us mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Sounds like you're Baptist. <laughs> but we just, baptize babies. Just, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. You wouldn't have me on to talk about that. We'll let you do it twice. I mean, it'll be all right. You start them out early and then finish it up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Baptist. Right yes, there. I know. Exactly. So you seem the because we visited your church, and to me it was super interesting because it's like a cross between my stepdad was Catholic, so I would go to mass, 
mass, but we also, I grew up in the Methodist church and then went to the Baptist church and then went to a Presbyterian church and then went to a non-denominational church. I've been to them all, but it was like a cross between maybe the Catholic church with the tradition and the, the um, same kind of rhythm, but also a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. It was very different. Um, and you said biblical in your, in your social views, but how does, and this is my, might not even be what we were going to talk about, but I'm so curious, like where, because the chants and the reading from the Psalms and the singing, it's all extremely, like you said, liturgical mm-hmm. and very much rooted in biblical mm-hmm. history. So why, what sets your church apart? Why the different denomination from like the PCA or, mm-hmm. and how did it start? Well, you're opening up a big can of worms I there. Can't, I, know, I know. This is like when I asked Brian Dawson to give me just the five minute version of his right, life. It's impossible. Right. right yeah. But, yeah. but what, cause there's maybe 200, there's not that many of the churches across the world really. Are yeah, there of the yeah. denominations? It, it was, so our denomination was formed out of independent churches basically you could say like Bible churches, kind mm-hmm. of broad evangelical churches that became reformed, mm-hmm. uh, became Presbyterian in conviction and needed a place to go. And so they started to band mm-hmm. together to form a presbytery. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I've got a lot of great friends in, in several of these other denominations, and certainly we would want to work together with them as much as we can. Uh, our denomination uh, actually does allow for Baptists. We kind of allow for a range of, of views on, on the sacraments. But we, mm-hmm. So on one end of the spectrum, uh, Baptist on the other end of the spectrum, paedo communion, where actually you uh, you baptize your children and you bring them to the Lord's table from the earliest age, uh, with the goal that they will grow up Christian and grow mm-hmm. up never knowing a day when they didn't trust Christ as their Savior. Uh, and so that's our hope. I know that doesn't happen in every single case, but we think there's something uh, normal about that expectation. And and this kind of ties into you know you, you mentioned how we we do sing or chant psalms. Um, this is all over the Psalter. And I think what, I think mm-hmm. a lot of the missing pieces in the American church today go back to the fact that we do not sing psalms. Mm-hmm. So, for mm-hmm. example, in Psalm 22, and you have to remember, this is not just David writing in his private journal. This is David writing a hymn that all Israelites would sing. In Psalm 22, he says, You are my God from my mother's womb. I trusted in you even as a nursing infant. So David, if you ask David, David, when did you come to faith? He would say, "Well, I've had faith for as long as I can." Right. Remember. He was he was raised in the faith, he which was is raised what in the faith. What we all should be doing with our children if we're true believers. Right. So, yeah, I mean, right. that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think so much of what people struggle with today is their issues of identity, really. And mm-hmm. and for us as Christians, uh, the sacraments and the liturgy have everything to do with identity. That's what we're doing is trying to reinforce a Christian identity in ourselves and in our children. And I think that's one of those things that gives them courage, gives them backbone. Then when they step out into the world, they're not going to be uh, pushed or pulled in different directions because they've been grounded. Mm-hmm. A, a child can say, I know I belong to God. I was baptized uh, God is my Father. He wants me to live for Him. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know right. He's given me His Holy Spirit, and so now mm-hmm. I can go live for Him and live for His kingdom in the world. And that mm-hmm. so so what's happening in church on Sunday becomes the foundation. Everything else flows out of that. You know what okay. happens in, in the liturgy. Everything else flows out of that. So um, theologians sometimes have talked about the liturgy after the liturgy. That uh, you know we, we we worship God on the Lord's Day, and God renews His covenant with us, and He gives us His His wisdom, and He, he assures us of forgiveness and he strengthens us. And then we go out and the rest of our life, the rest of our week can be liturgical too. All of life can become worship, right? Uh, an act of worship in, in a broader way. So uh, that's something we very much want to uh, inculcate. I think in, in, the, in the modern American church, there's such an emphasis on the individual. And certainly that does matter. You know, we, we do need mm-hmm. to uh, we, we have to have what's you know sometimes called a personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. You have to trust in Jesus yourself. Right. But I think there's also a really big emphasis on the corporate, uh, on the church as a body. And I think one thing we've really lost is our whole sense of what the church really is and what the church is really about and what the mission of the church is. And I think that ties into all these other issues it you've does. mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. COVID was one example of where the church failed in many ways because the church did not have a strong sense of her own identity and her purpose right, her mission. Right. I, you know, there's a there I know a lot of churches that shut down for a really long period of time. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem I think is that they had not been taught why gathering in person as right. a church 
matters. Right. And actually, a lot of their pastors could not articulate why right. gathering in person as a church Do you matters. need to know more than we're told not to forsake it? I mean, that seems... Well, that that's definitely... I mean, in, in I don't need to know all the yeah. history, yeah. but yeah. that's pretty straight. Yeah. yeah. And we still ignored it. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're afraid we're going so, to get the COVID. So, so, there, so there are certain aspects, yeah, that, that, that it's, it requires an impersonal gathering. Right. That's what the word church means, actually, is assembly. So you right. really don't have a church if you're just, you can't really gather, you can't really assemble online. So right. that, that, you know, so that was, um, that was one thing that I noticed. But I think everything that happened with COVID was really a symptom of deeper problems that were already there. I don't think COVID created anything new. I think right. it mm -hmm. exposed problems that were already present in the American church. Mm. So what are those problems? What If you had to sum up kind of the deep, deep, not the symptoms, but the deep issue and disease that is spreading, is it wanting to be accepted by culture? Is it just a loss of the nuclear family? Is it a, like, is it a loss of sound theology? What, what would you say? I think it's all of those things yeah. and, and, and maybe more. What I have said before is that the American church does all the right things, but does them in the wrong way. Mm. So we worship, okay. but we okay. don't worship rightly. Uh, we evangelize, but we don't evangelize rightly. We do politics and cultural engagement, but we don't mm -hmm. do them rightly. And so what you've ended up with in America, I think, is a very... Uh, a very thin Christianity uh, doesn't have a lot of substance, doesn't have a lot of weight, mm -hmm. and so it is easily pushed around. And some of that goes back to what I was saying about identity mm -hmm. uh, and and just you know understanding who you are as a Christian and what it means to be a part of the church. And how, um, how much of it, of it is that we? I say we. I don't. I hope that I don't. But we don't really truly believe what God's word says. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we think, don't think, know what it says, right. number one, and right. then when we do know what it says, we're not really, or maybe it's a you know, different order, we don't really believe what it says. That's right. And yeah, so I, how do we take a stand on yeah. something if we don't really right. believe it? Well, I don't like that part, so I really right. don't. I don't know yeah. about that. Well, I think right. that's just a story. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, is well, that I part think of you're it? Right. I, I, think, I think you have two issues there. One is you have the, the, the issue of the authority of Scripture. Right. And so is Scripture really authoritative? Do we really believe that Scripture is the Word of God? Mm -hmm. written and preserved for us. And so whatever scripture says, God says. Okay, so that, right. that, that's one issue. And there are a lot of churches that have compromised on that. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, they'll, they'll pick and choose. They'll, there are parts of the Bible they don't like, and so they feel free to dismiss them. They, right. they believe they can correct God, right. <laughs> uh, as it were, correct God's Which word. Which is very bold. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, brave. it's it's an act of uh, defiance and, mm -hmm. and arrogance and idolatry. Yep. But the other thing is, for even for those Christians who would say, "Yeah, we believe the Bible is the Word of God," so often their reading of Scripture. Uh, I think it's it's like they're they're reading scripture with blinders, and so they don't see a lot of what is there. So again, this goes back to something I mentioned already, and that is so often our reading of scripture focuses on the individual mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what does the Bible mean to me or what does it mean for me? And 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 those can those are important questions. They have their place. But the Bible's about a lot more than that. Uh, the, the, the goal, God's goal in history is not just to save a bunch of individuals. It is to build a kingdom. Right. And I think we lose sight of that storyline that Scripture is aiming at a kingdom. And part of what we're here to do, you know, the question's been asked, uh, right. why does God leave us here? Why does he leave us here on earth after he saves us? And right. one answer to that is, well, we're here to evangelize. Fair right. enough. I, I grant that. But I would say there's actually a lot more to it than that. We are here to build a God-glorifying civilization. Right. Right. And we should be satisfied with nothing. Nothing less. Isn't that what the uh, you know mm. the build the church and the gates of hell will not stand against? Because that's yeah, a yeah. that's an offensive position right. from the church. Right. The church is pushing against that's the right. gates. That's right. And we've kind of forgotten all that. Yeah. I also think the scriptural thing is that we have uh, the Bible through daily devotions. Mm -hmm. You know, three hundred sixty-five days to become mm -hmm. a better mom. Three hundred sixty-five mm -hmm. days to be a mm -hmm. better dad. So it's one verse. I'll give you a whole page, tell you what you think about that verse, and you have no idea what the context is, what the story right, was, right. what the background, what the Old Testament reference was. None of that. That's all we know. I feel good about it. Right. We, we read the Bible in such a disjointed way yes. instead of reading it as a, as a, as a comprehensive story. Right. The Bible is the true story of the world, the true story right. of the creation. And so it's got to become the, uh, the lens through which we interpret everything that happens. Mm -hmm. So not just in your own life. So for example, you might go through a personal trial and you know that you've got to interpret the meaning of that trial through scripture. So scripture has got a lot to say about our suffering, about our trials, but it's the same with the rising and falling of, of, of nations and empires in history. 
the Bible is not just a, uh, a handbook about how to get your soul into heaven. Uh, the Bible is our ultimate authority in every area of life. That doesn't mean the Bible tells me everything I need to know right. in every area of life. Obviously, mm-hmm. God, uh, God does not want us to confine what we learn about uh, about Him or about His ways or about His wisdom to the Bible. But mm-hmm. it is our authoritative. Um, standard in all of life. And I would say right. that includes politics as much as my personal life. Mm. That's I good mean, stuff. Do y'all want to like just get out your notebook and just take notes? Yeah, that's why too. I have my yellow pad. Like, uh, like you do. You're yeah, totally, totally right. yellow pad. He literally wrote down my name so well, that he I mean, didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is Amy Beth Shaver in case he forgets. Right. He might get flustered. Well, uh, on I mean, he did totally you buy your name? No, I didn't. No. I remember oh, my name. Oh, he wrote down Alabama I did that one, yes. That, that is hilarious. Okay, so there are so many things. Um, you you were talking about our, you used the word thin um, when describing our faith. And you're talking about the Bible as the whole story. It's the accurate story of history. Right, right. Um, and then you look at things like, I don't know, I, I've read a study before, and I don't know who it was by, but I'm really not making this up. That Like, <laughs> People generally, I guess it's 18% of evangelicals are daily Bible readers. So it's, you know, around then. That seems kind of high to me. That's high. I mean, it was, it was right. high. Hey, let's be gracious ago. rather than like 10%. It was like 30 okay? years ago when you were but young. a small percentage of people read their Bible every day. Right. So how do we then begin to encourage that if y'all want to know what's really going on, dig into the word of God right, to find out right. what he has to say about all the things right, right. because it's relevant. It's a sharp, mm-hmm. it's a sharp and double-edged sword. Um, but can you talk about that? Well, I do think reading your Bible regularly is really important, but as a pastor, one thing I would say that would really help with this is I think so much of the preaching that we have in the church today is so anemic. Uh, and, and I think that that's a huge issue. And that's something that, pastors can do something about. So one one way that I can help people uh, get into the Word every day is by preaching it in a way that they get interested in it. Okay. Uh, so that so that they start to see, oh, wow, you know, I really do need to know uh, what's in the Scripture. I really do need to immerse myself in God's Word and, mm-hmm. and hear all the reasons why. Um, so, so I think what happens is even when people do have a quiet time, a lot of times, of course, they're doing it maybe perhaps out of, out of an obli- you know, sense of obligation or something, which I'm not, that's not totally wrong, obviously, right. for it to seem like an obligation. But, um, but I, I think that our reading of Scripture, if it's not, if, if we're not getting the big picture, which is what I think your pastor needs to help give you. I mean, that, this mm-hmm. is really, I wouldn't expect people just to figure all this out on their own. But if, if your pastor is not giving you that big picture, you're going to be reading the Bible in a disjointed, fragmented way, and it's going to be of limited value to you. So this is one way I've kind of thought about some of the issues that you're you're raising. Um, I actually grew up. My my parents are from the South. Actually, both my parents were born here in Alabama, so I've got I've got roots here in this state. But I didn't grow up here. Uh, I've lived here for about the last 18 years, so I definitely feel at home here. But I grew up in Chicago, so I grew up you know outside the South, and and I went to a big public school and knew very few believers there, and so. Uh, for college, I did. I did come to the South. I went to Auburn and and got you know one of the things that I was War Eagle. Yeah, War Eagle. Yeah, War Eagle. Anyway, these <laughs> days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, anyway. But one of the things that, that I was uh, I like that I most appreciated was that I found lots of Christian fellowship. Um, but one thing that has struck me, and this, so I, before I came to Birmingham, I, I was a pastor in uh, Austin, Texas, for several years, which is a lot more like Chicago than Birmingham, just mm-hmm. in the yes. sense that it's a, it's a it's a large liberal city. It's a very blue dot in a mostly red state. And um, but one thing that struck me when I moved to to Birmingham is how, and I kind of forgotten this about the South because I'd been away for several years, is how it does seem like there's a church on every corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, which coming here to uh, basically, uh, you know, take over a very small church and then try to grow it, it's like, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of other churches out here uh, that are, you know, seeking to. And of course, they're doing a lot of great things, but um, but that 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 raised questions. You know, there's there's a lot of churches here. Uh, there's a lot of people who say that they are Christian. In fact, about the time I moved here, I remember seeing an article that said that Birmingham was either like the first or the second most church mm-hmm, city right. in the U.S. per capita. I would imagine that's probably still true. Certainly for a city of its size, it's probably the most church city per capita. But one question that kept occurring to me is, how can you have this many Christians here, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in the heart of the Bible Belt, who make so little difference? 
And that's a question mm. that is that has stuck with me because the reality is, while Birmingham has a lot more people who say they are Christians, culturally it's hard to find where what the cash value of that is. Right? How, how is our culture really different than any other city? Uh, and I think that's something that we really need to dig into. Yes. Why do we have so many churches, right. so many Christians, so much money, so many resources, and yet we seem to make so little? I'm not saying there's no difference. But right. I'm saying so little right. difference right. compared to what you might find in other much more right. secular cities. Mm. And so, all right, then let's dig into that. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, so I would say there are a lot of reasons, and I certainly wouldn't try to, to, to say I could give a, a comprehensive answer, but I'll give you some examples of the kind of things that I think are going on. Uh, let's take the Great Commission that everybody is familiar with, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28. What's going on there? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So right mm -hmm. there, we learn that Jesus is a king. He reigns over everything, that whatever comes next, it's going to in some way be about implementing this comprehensive authority that Jesus has. So right. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all of life. Christians will talk a lot about how I made Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. My, my of mine. Right, 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 right. Well, right. he's a cosmic Lord and Savior. Okay, mm -hmm. so so we've got to start with that. So the fundamental confession of faith in the New Testament is Jesus is Lord. It's the, it's that simple. Jesus is Lord. So Jesus reigns over everything. Do Christians do we do Christians in general really believe that? You know, do we really believe that in any kind of meaningful way? It seems to me a lot of Christians are dualists of some sort. Mm -hmm. You've got the spiritual realm with the authority of Jesus over here, and then you've got everything else. And we don't really know who's in charge there, but it's clearly not Jesus. And I think that's how a lot of Christians operate. So Jesus is a personal Savior, but publicly, public life, Jesus doesn't really have anything to do with that. Well, the, And the, some of us believe that we should say he shouldn't be. Well, exactly. Right, right. Because that, they that would, the good right. Christian position is we don't want Jesus in the schools. That's we don't right. want God right. in the school. We don't want God in government because we're so good. We believe secular is better. I mean, right. I, something we were taught that. Right. I don't think that was the plan, but we've been taught that at least the last hundred years in yeah. this country. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Then people will 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 they'll frame the Great Commission in terms of saving souls. Okay, you know, we mm -hmm. want to get as many people into heaven as mm -hmm. we can. Okay, that is true. I grant that. But what does Jesus actually say? He says, "Therefore, go." So because he's Got all authority. Right. Therefore, right. on that basis, go. Right. right. And he says, make the nations my disciples. Okay. So what is the object of this mission? It is the nations. Mm -hmm. Now, even if you say nations in Jesus' day, that's not exactly identical to our modern nation state. It includes mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It has to include that. So discipleship is comprehensive. It is right. not just preaching the gospel and, and then you know, leaving right. at that and then going on. Right. It is actually discipling the nation, which means transforming the whole. If you think about a disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means you're seeking to bring the whole of your life into submission to Jesus. Right. So if you're going to disciple a nation, that means the whole nation is going to be brought into submission to Jesus. Right. It's whole life, it's customs, it's it's laws, right. it's policies, right. uh, every you know, it's entertainment, right. uh, it's art, it's music, it's architecture. Everything is going to be brought into submission to Jesus. Right. And so I would say the goal of the Great Commission, again, is not the salvation of individuals, though that's certainly going to happen, but the goal of the Great Commission is what Christians have historically called Christendom. A Christian mm -hmm. civilization. It's to manifest the kingdom of God right. on earth. And I, I, I think most Christians just don't think in those terms. We have right. truncated the Great Commission. Right. We've taken the greatness of the Great Commission out. Right. So it, it, it's something that becomes much more manageable to us. And we think, oh, well, the Great so Commission. When, so just... when did we lose that? I, another thing, I saw somebody the other day who said that the, the go, King James Version saying go until was Jesus was actually saying as you go. Or as you go, yeah, so, as you go, so as right, you go right, do your stuff, right. as you do yes. everything, you're you're making disciples of that's all right, the nations, right. etc. So it kind of changes it from this mindset of oh, I need to go out and talk to Amy Beth about this, but as I'm living my life, mm -hmm. everything I do is about mm -hmm. Jesus' kingdom. So when yeah. did we lose it? Christendom, yeah. you, you you hear, you know, the, the queen passed away, and she was the defender of the faith, and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff, right. and there's all this right. high talk, right? right. Historically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then somewhere, I said a hundred years. Yeah, it just kind of just got chopped off. Yeah, and we and we yeah. quit defending 
Christendom, right? And then we right. we changed to. I mean, was it the progressive movement? I mean, it seemed to happen a lot of places. I, I think it happened gradually. Okay, uh, I don't think it happened all at once. <clears throat> and so, if you were to rewind this videotape, I guess that dates me. That kind of metaphor, right? For your younger people, that's we right. all know what you're if saying. You, if you go back on the Netflix, so, you know, you scroll we'll back. Slide the little bar back. Uh, yeah. Uh, Got to watch things like that. I still use cassette tape analogies sometimes. I'm like, I can't do that. Which uh, we appreciate. As long as you don't do eight track, we're good. Yeah, yeah, we don't I, do okay, eight track. yeah I'm not the eight track. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. When, when, when did we lose this? I think it happened very gradually. I think it was a very gradual erosion. It, it's sort of like the proverbial, uh, you know, frog that's being boiled. Mm-hmm. It, it just the it, it, it's the change happened slowly, and so for that reason, imperceptibly. I think there's sort of mm-hmm. milestones along the way that you can point to where this mm-hmm. slide into secular apostasy took place. Um, so I don't think there's any one um, event or time period you can point to where you can say mm-hmm. this is where it went wrong, but it is really interesting to think about this. Um, you know, of course, you had medieval Christendom, and right. it had lots of flaws. Nobody doubts that. But if you really look at the medieval period, it was not a dark age. I mean, right. Secular historians will call it that because they right. hate Christ and hate mm-hmm. his church. And so any period of time in which mm-hmm. Christ and the church... It's kind of like the Puritans always being terrible. Yeah, the Puritans right. always get a bad rap, too. And they did, they, all kind of, they did a lot of great things, no right. doubt. And they may have been uh, rigid and, and, uh, and um, sometimes... Um, they may have had some tendencies that we would want to loosen up on, uh, uh-huh. perhaps. But uh, yeah, the Puritans were great and godly people and, and produced a very godly culture. And there's many great things that we can learn from the Puritans, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, so so if you think about it, you know, you had medieval Christendom and then you had the Reformation mm-hmm. and the Reformers were still very much a part of Christendom. The Reformation does not happen without the help of political rulers. So you have these political rulers who get on board with promoting the truth and and furthering the mission of the church and all these kind of things. And so uh, what's called the magisterial reformation because it involved the civil magistrate. It it was uh, was not just, certainly it centered in the church and it flowed out of the church, but um, it, it, it involved the civil magistrate as well. And then even when uh, with the settling of the new world, with the colonists that came over here and, and, and began to establish, you know, what was their whole purpose in coming? It was to establish a godly commonwealth. Mm-hmm. It was to further the gospel. If you go back and you look at why did Columbus cross the sea? Well, there were a lot of reasons, and certainly um, gold and glory were among them, but it was also about evangelism. Uh, in, in Christopher Columbus's journal, he had all kinds of Old Testament prophecies about the nations and the distant isles being brought to Christ, being brought to the light. And that's part of what he wanted to do was spread the gospel. That, that was part of it. And of course, the people who came over here to uh, to settle this land, that's very much what they wanted to do. It was about evangelism. It was about furthering the kingdom of God. It was about building a godly civilization. And even when the American constitution that we currently live under was adopted, uh, you still had a majority of those original states in the United States had established churches. Right. The First Amendment uh, did not prohibit public Christian faith. It did not prohibit an established church at the state level. It right. only tells us what Congress can or can't do. And of course, they didn't want a federally established church because they had a variety of denominations represented in the different states. So that would have that would have created a real conflict. So so even then, you still had this. Uh, you know, you know, into the early 1800s, you still mm-hmm. got this. Now, I think slowly you're seeing the disintegration. There. Right, and right. Of course, uh, you know, the founding fathers were somewhat of a mixed bag. They were not all Orthodox Christians by any means, even if they were greatly influenced by Orthodox Christian faith. But I think you can start to see the slide there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, as the universities that were were yes. set up to help people go spread the gospel and send missionaries and pastors right, right, began to right. change their worldview and. Right. Right. And then it just starts disseminating into the government leadership, the elites. Mm-hmm. And I think the elites changed society more quickly than just the parishioners at the church did. Yeah. So I think you can say it was kind of a one-two punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say you had the you had this enlightenment rationalism that captured a lot of the universities. So yes. for example, Harvard in the early 1800s, is, you know, it was founded to train Orthodox pastors, and by right. the early 1800s, it has basically gone Unitarian. Right. Uh, so you've got the you've got the rationalism of the Enlightenment uh, that begins to creep in, and I think out of a desire for social respectability, something that we've mm. seen Christian leaders capitulate to in our own day, you have a lot of these Christians who go the way of Enlightenment rationalism, and they begin right. subordinating the authority of Scripture to human reason, and we know mm-hmm. what happens when you mm-hmm. do that. On the other end, you've got 
pietism, which basically privatizes the faith and makes the faith a matter of my personal relationship, and there's not any public or cultural expression right. of Christianity. Mm. So that's the other side. And we're seeing that in our day, too, where you've still got this kind of pietism, where you've got a lot of people who, uh, you know, they, they do want to live godly lives, but they have a very truncated Right, understanding right. of what the Christian mm-hmm. mission right. in the world really is. And, right. and so, uh, and, and I think you see that arise about that same time right. and really in some ways as a response. It's, right. it's sort of like, right. well, if these people who are uh, the elites of the culture are apostatizing, then we're going to remain faithful by having nothing to do with se- with secular culture. Right. We'll, we'll abandon these institutions right. and just worry about At the same time, some of those people are telling the pious, hey, y'all keep it to yourselves. Right. You know, well, that it, too. It be your that own. Too. So yeah. it works out right. perfectly right. for right. them, especially. Right. And so those two, those two extremes sort of represent the kind of dualism that I think a lot of Christians operate in, where you have a private spirituality and then in your public life, you're secular. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how well, we hear it all the time. Yeah. And, we and, do. And, we, and people say it. And we, and we all, sometimes we reflexively agree with that secular view because, like I was saying earlier, we're kind of taught that that's the right thing. You have, if, if you are an American Christian in 2022, you have to self-consciously and actively train yourself to think differently or you will lapse into that dualism. Mm-hmm. If you're mm-hmm. not constantly having that dualism, I'd say challenged by your church, Right. So, and, and if you're not constantly working at it yourself to understand the world in an integrated way where Jesus right. really is Lord over everything, then you're going to lapse back into that because it is very deep in American culture. Right. I was, I'll tell you a story, and they, they've heard this story before. We were having a conversation in Sunday school. I'm a Southern Baptist, and um, a lady, I can't remember what we were talking about. I don't know if it was abortion or uh, homosexual marriage or whatever, and she was telling how, you know, you, your faith, you got to do this and do this, and and the law can't have this, you know, we can't say these things. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you believe Jesus is going to come back and reign? And she's like, oh, absolutely, blah, blah, blah. I said, so you think when he's in charge, this is going to be the law? It did not go well after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but, but that's, what if that's Jesus true. is in charge right now? It's, that's what, that's, kind of, that's yeah, my point, yeah. is he is in charge. He's sovereign right. now. Yeah. Right. And we're literally saying, hey, we don't want to do it the way you are going to do it yeah. Yeah. because why, there's not a good reason. Right, right, yeah. Well, and also one of the conversations we had a while back was that you were told that Christians should not be involved in politics. Oh, that, that was, see, talk about modern Christianity. That was a Facebook discussion where um, a very prominent pastor here in Birmingham basically called me out and said that, you know, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. And I'm like, okay, what if Moses hadn't gone and petitioned for his people, you know, what mm-hmm. if, what, 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 I mean, what, it, it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard because I couldn't think you don't leave that section of the world to the pagans, you know, he says, go and ma- take dominion over all the world, mm-hmm. every single piece. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, I don't know what happened with COVID, but it, it exposed a lot and it's like everything. And I think I hadn't thought about it this way, but you just put it together. That's the tension we're seeing mm-hmm. between the people that think my personal life can be Jesus. My public life can mm-hmm. be secular. Mm-hmm. And the people that think, no, God has dominion over all. He is sovereign over all things. Right. We, we, we live our lives for him and every, and, the, and you nailed it. And that's why I've been actually kind of uncharacteristically quiet well, because I'm like, wait, this what is happens it. <laughs> is the, the 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 secular side of that keeps getting bigger and bigger, and then the private keeps mm. getting smaller and smaller until it's left to, to, till it's a vanishing point, basically, and there's right. nothing left for Jesus to rule over. But let me let me address this whole idea that um, you know this myth I would say that Christians should not be involved in politics, and I'll talk about how how I think Christians should be involved in politics, but. Um, it's really interesting. The New Testament uses a very political vocabulary to describe the gospel, uh, the work of evangelism, and the mission of the church. So think about this. In the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching the gospel, uh, of course, I said the basic Christian confession of faith in the New Testament is Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Who else was claiming to be Lord in that day? It was Caesar. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a Christian preaching Jesus is Lord, you know, if you if you go into a city with ancient Paul, you know, with with, mm-hmm. with Paul in the ancient world uh, on one of his mission trips, and uh, and you walk into a city and you say, "There's this Jewish man who was crucified and then rose again, and now he's been exalted as king over everything. And if you trust in him, you can be saved from your sins. And he's building a kingdom. And if you're not part of it, you're going to get smashed with his rod of iron." What right. would people say? They would say, "No, we already have a Lord, and his name is Caesar." 
Right. And so preaching the gospel actually got you accused of treason. That's the charge. Mm-hmm. This is why makes sense. Goes, why? there's a riot. You know, I heard right. a, there, there was an, an Episcopal uh, priest one time who said, how, how is it uh, every, everywhere I go, they serve tea, and everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there was a riot. Okay? Right. <laughs> everywhere right. Paul goes, there's right. a riot because he is right. upsetting right. the social, right. the, 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 the whole fabric of society yeah. is being yeah. torn apart when Paul preaches the gospel because he's coming in preaching another gospel. That's the charge brought against the Christians in Acts 17. You're preaching another king, Jesus. Okay, if we're not mm-hmm. accused of treason, we might not be preaching the gospel. That's one way to look at this. Right. Uh, but here's something else to consider. That word for gospel, evangelion, was already in use in the, you know, in the ancient world. That was a Greek term that had a currency before Christians began using it. And it was primarily used as a political term. So if Caesar, for example, had a child, so now there's going to be an heir, his messengers would go throughout the empire and they would announce the birth of this child, and that was called an evangelion, the good news that Caesar's had a son. Or if Caesar won a great military victory, he wants this proclaimed throughout the empire so everybody will know he's triumphant, and his messengers, his heralds, his apostles, you could say, his sent ones, would go out, and their announcement of this message was called an evangelion a gospel. Mm. It is a political term. There's no getting around that. So if you privatize the gospel, you really don't have the gospel anymore. It's something else you're talking about at this point, not the gospel, uh, because it, it it has this political content. Well, that and, explains why the early Christians were martyred, et cetera, because they weren't being martyred for giving shirts to the homeless, right? Right. 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 That's you know right. what I'm saying? They weren't being right. martyred for a, a private faith that they're, they're, they're meeting they're, down they're, by they're the river. Right. right. I mean, that makes a lot more the sense. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of Christians who were martyred because they would not burn a pinch of incense to Caesar. Caesar was fine with... Christians worshiping Jesus so long as they also worship Caesar. Jesus could have his place at the table with the pantheon of gods. No problem. But if you say Jesus is Lord over all the gods, if you say he's Lord over even Caesar, that's what would get you into trouble. And that's why the early Christians suffered, because they insisted on that truth. Jesus is not just one God among many. He's not just taking, he's not just going to take his place at the table with all the other gods. Right. He owns the table. He's going to sit at the head of it right. and he's going to fill it with his own people. So what is Well, I'm ready. I'm fired up. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I share this with everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's heartbreaking to watch what is happening in the church and churches and churches that we all know. I mean, you know, we it started with COVID um, and that Facebook conversation happened about that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. And then it went to that a lot of American Christians now have this Christian nationalism that they're all cute and, you know, just crazy insurrectionists and they've made their liberty and freedom, their God. And, and, and then, you know, it keeps going like down this progressive, the CRT, this black lives matter. Um, even this church, the pastor that, you know, said we shouldn't be involved in politics. Now that church has gone down like the side B Christianity. Mm. Yes. And, mm-hmm. It's just bizarre. I'm the only one who doesn't know what Day that is. Affirming. Oh, is that what side B means? Yeah, yeah, like you can, you can be, you can be gay. They'd say they're celibate, would identify as gay, right. yeah. and oh, embrace a lot okay. of the trappings of gay culture. So it's, it's like a, you can it's live again. As, 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 as long as you don't act it out, as long as you don't act on it, yeah. you can, you can. I think you can live with someone of the same sex that you're in a friendship in a friendship. Really, but you yes. just because hmm. apparently anyway. It's just really weird, and it, and it's obvious that something's happened that has. I feel like we we crossed the Rubicon. We crossed something in the past few years where I really feel like God just took His hand off and said, "It's almost like, oh wait, you want the king? You want the king like every other country? Okay, I'll give you the king, and you're going to be miserable." And I feel like, like how do we? I want to say, how do we stop it? But we know how this ends. Right, this is right, exactly what right. Revelation and, and the Bible says will happen. And in the end, um, you know, just civilizations and, and it just gets gross and it gets heavy and it gets dark. 
Well, let me paint a little bit different picture than that. Okay, because please I, do, because that's think, really depressing. Yeah, it is. And and I would say, go back, to, you, you cited Matthew 16, mm-hmm. uh, where Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail. I think the word prevail throws people off. Let's say the gates of hell will not stand right. against the church. Okay, so in this picture, the church is at war with hell, and hell has gates, which are defensive mm-hmm. weapons, and the church is advancing. And not even the gates of hell will stand against the church. So I think we ought to think, you know, the church and hell, we ought to think of hell there as the realm in which Satan right. rules, not just right. where the evil people go world. when they die. Right. But yeah, it's basically it's the kingdom of Satan. Yeah. Yes. The two, kingdoms in the, the two kingdoms in the Bible are the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. They're in, at war with one another. That's what that passage is describing. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that the gates of hell uh, cannot stand. The gates mm-hmm. of Hades will not stand, which means, I think, that the church is going to be triumphant. Now, that doesn't mean the church will win every battle, but I do think it means the church will win the war. And I think Mm -hmm. Scripture gives us every reason to be optimistic, hopeful, Mm -hmm. and confident in the church's future. Because God... So let's go back to the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and disciple the nations. Well, is that going to succeed or not? Will the nations be discipled? I would say yes, and I would back that up. I think Jesus is actually alluding to a variety of Old Testament prophecies, a variety of Old Testament promises about the spread of the Messianic kingdom once the Messiah comes in history. So, for, And this a lot of this goes back to singing psalms as well. Mm-hmm. We tend to sing a lot of songs in the church today about my own personal experience. Okay? Right. They basically right. amount to songs about the self. I feel this way or this, you know, right. feel some other way about God. I mean, it's kind of about our feelings. Well, there's a there's again there's a place for that, and if you go to the Psalms, you'll see there are a lot of Psalms that deal with that. But there are a lot of Psalms that also deal with uh, what God is going to do in history, what God's going to do with His enemies in history, mm-hmm. uh, with the advance and triumph of the Messiah's kingdom in history. So in Psalm two, Psalm two basically tells the story of the gospel. Uh, it starts off with the nations raging against. God's Messiah, God's anointed one. And of course, in the book of Acts, we know that's talking about the crucifixion. Then it has the father exalting his son to his holy hill and, and, and seating his son at his right hand to rule over all things. So that's the crucifixion and then the resurrection and mm-hmm. the ascension of Jesus. And what happens next? The father says to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Mm-hmm. And then the psalm ends with David who is, is writing this. David is a king and he warns all the other kings. He says, to all the kings of the nations, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and his wrath flare up against you. Okay, mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a threat, there's a warning. Okay, But the question then is, will Jesus inherit the nations? Is it possible that Jesus would come to this earth, suffer and die for the nations, be, ex- be resurrected, exalted, ascend into heaven, and then not ask his father for the nations? No, he is going to ask his father for the nations. The nations will become Christ's inheritance. He, he bought them. He paid for them. The nations are bought and paid for, and Jesus is going to have them. And I think that confidence that previous generations of Christians had, I think, has been lost. And now you have a, you have a whole, you've had now several generations of Christians in America who actually think things getting worse and worse in the culture is good because it means Jesus is coming back soon. I would mm-hmm. say there's not a shred of biblical evidence for that particular view. I would say the view that scripture gives us mm-hmm. is one of the kingdom uh, advancing mm-hmm. and growing through history as Jesus progressively more and more inherits the nations and makes okay. them his disciples. So how does Revelation, the, the things that people say, that things go into heck in a handbasket, um, end times, those sorts of things, do those things happen after? Oh, gosh. I don't know if well, I'll give you a really short answer. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if you if you are uh, so bold as to have me back again. I'll talk right, about right. this in more detail. Okay. But the bottom line on Revelation, John at the beginning says these are things that are going to soon take place. Okay. The vast bulk. So you of believe the book most of, of it was, was fall of Rome in the first and all century. that. Yes. So yes. so you don't believe that he was on the Isle of Patmos in the late eighties, nineties. No, I think he you wrote it before 60s. 70, 80. Okay. Yeah. 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 We'll have that another show. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, by the way, because that also means it changed me when I I just. Hold okay. to your view. Right. So we'll we'll just save that, and we will we will save that. We're tabling that one, and we'll come back to so it. But I do think that's episode integral. two. I think that's integral to this whole issue because I think right. confidence and so I, Christians have a double hope. I would say mm-hmm. the blessed hope, which is the final coming of Jesus, the resurrection, right. entering into the glorified new creation, will live right. in resurrection bodies and a new right. heavens and new earth for all eternity. Uh, but I think 
We also have a historical hope, which is the growth of the kingdom. And I think that historical hope has largely been lost. And I think mm-hmm. it's been lost because, again, it goes back to how do we read the story of the Scripture, the, right. the Bible as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right. People are just, I'm just holding on to the end. Right. But, yeah. does it but I want to fight the fight to the end, even if I believe some of that. Sure, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm still trying absolutely. to yeah. figure but, that out. But, like, okay, it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. Like, of course I know God wins. And in the end, I mean, he... He will return. He will have dominion. He will reign again. But that doesn't mean we aren't going to be persecuted and sure. things aren't going right. to really right. mm-hmm. stink the church, for so a this, while. That's right. And we might be martyred. We It might look like the Reformation. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Like it, The persecution that is coming towards Christians, I have never seen. In, uh, in a post-Christian America, it's just a different time. I don't think you can deny that. It doesn't mean that you don't have hope. It just means... We have to gear up, and what we're seeing is so many Christians failing at that. They're just sliding in because it's right. easy, and it's it's way more comfortable to just go along and get along so you don't have to stand out and you don't have to be right. persecuted when that's really not going to cut it in terms yeah. of— right. and, and my view is not that the church will not be persecuted. My, my view is what's that of Tertullian in the early church? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm. So I would say the church right. will suffer and serve her way to victory. The victory does not come apart from the suffering mm-hmm. of the church. It comes mm-hmm. through the suffering oh, yeah, okay. of the church. We don't, we don't get to bypass that. But our, but our generation jelly. is going to suffer <laughs> because we don't, we're not even fighting the fight. We don't well, even right, realize right, there is a fight. Right. We're, just, yeah. we're yeah. basically yeah. surrendering yeah. and then being if, yeah, if you're If you're a soldier who abandons the fight and, and you kind of get what you, you give up, yeah, then, then no, you're not going to suffer. And I think before. that's where we, where we really fell apart. And, and, and I think that's maybe the bonus fry of COVID. That's... Where, yeah. was that so many people are like, wait, this in my gut feels wrong. And you're digging into Scripture and you're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And so the good news is that it forced many people to the Scripture to ask fellow believers, wait a minute, how are we supposed to comport ourselves while we are mm-hmm. here? But what mm-hmm. do you do? Because you have pastors that you have followed for years that you respect that, that you are do well that you known, love that are telling you to do the opposite of what your gut and the holy spirit right. is telling you so like what where what was the right answer there i don't know because i have some very well respected people they're telling all of us we're doing it wrong and i'm looking at them like do I know you? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like what's happening yeah. here? And then you dig in and you find that there are more things like uh going on not just with them but the layers of the side B. And so we've gone from being all, all of, you know, all of Christ for all of life to what Schaefer said, upstairs, downstairs. And so you're the weirdo that's like, yeah. wait a minute, mm-hmm. but the Bible applies to all of this. Mm-hmm. So right. who's right? So, yeah. We are. Me. <laughs> Rich is right. Well, okay. yeah. And, and, yes. I mean, and we, so, we never tested the spirits for all these things. Though. Some of us no. sat at the feet of pastors for years and, and never questioned what they said on anything. And right. that's wrong too. Even though we, yeah. and, you know even though we should have. And we, I, I'm, I'm joking human. when I say it's that. Bizarre. Right. I, I mean, obviously, pastors are sinners. Pastors are fallible. So right. we need to be. You know, I, I think right. there's. Right. Uh, you have to take that into account. Uh, and I think that some of those. What I would say at this point is, if you know, let's say you had pastors who had a you know an over the top response to COVID, and now they realize, oh, that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, we we didn't need to lock down for as long as we did. What we if they don't realize to... it's a mistake? Okay, so this is what I'm driving at. <laughs> okay, if, if a pastor will come forward and say, "Hey, you know, what? I made a mistake. Will you all forgive me?" Mm-hmm. And and he'll own up to it. I would say, "Yeah, absolutely. You know, learn from it. Let's right. you know, we all make mistakes. Let's do better next time." Where I would have an issue is with the with those pastors or leaders who are doubling and tripling down. You know, who who had that kind of response. Uh, and then have doubled or tripled down on it at this point, and still mm-hmm. insisting, "Oh no, you know, we were right to to do that." And so I, I, that's where I would that's where I would raise the issue. Um, but let me go back to something else because I, I, COVID is really interesting. But again, I think COVID is a symptom right. of a mm-hmm. deeper issue. So let me take up one one other thing here, which is so how how does the church if all if if what I've said is true, how does the church go about? implementing this how, how do we how do we how do we change the world basically mm-hmm. you know if the, if the great commission is jesus charging his disciples to go forward into the nations to disciple the nations mm-hmm. to transform the whole world mm-hmm. how do we make that happen i think one issue we have is that a lot of times you know we talk about the culture war and then we want to fight the culture war using the exact same weapons that the world is using mm-hmm. 
And I would, and I'm not saying that that's always wrong. I think that, you know, some of those things can have their place, but I would say that we as Christians have got spiritual weapons for this battle because the culture war is really just a proxy for the real war, which is the Mm -hmm. spiritual war. I wouldn't say that on every single issue, not every single issue rises to that level, but a lot of these issues, a lot of the culture war issues, the ones having to do with sexuality or abortion Mm -hmm. and marriage and so forth, they're very clearly Mm -hmm. issues of right versus wrong, Christ versus Satan. Uh, They're part of that spiritual war. And I think the church needs to use the weapons that Christ has given to us and I don't think we've used those weapons very well. One weapon, obviously, is the word. So how does the church, you know, this, this is the sword of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So the word of God. So we need, to, we need to proclaim the word of God, the whole mm-hmm. counsel of God, the word of God in its fullness, mm-hmm. and apply the word of God to everything under the sun. Because, right. you know, it, it applies to every square on the chessboard. It, right. it's, it's got this comprehensive authority. We need to apply it. Uh, so there's that, uh, preaching the word of God. I would say prayer. In Hebrews chapter 4, we are called to come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, uh, the, you know, the mercy and help that we need. And uh, I would say prayer. It, you know, the way we ought to think about prayer is we are petitioning the king of the universe to act on our behalf. Okay, So that means if we look out at the world around us and we see all kinds of things that we know they are not the way God wants them, Okay, one of the things we should be doing is taking those issues to God in prayer and praying about them. And mm-hmm. I've been in, you know, lots of churches where if they if they do have some kind of pastoral prayer in the service at all, they never get beyond private individual needs. Same kind of mm-hmm. thing. Why aren't we praying about all of these things going on around us? How can we expect God to change the world if we're not asking him to do so? And I would say praying also includes the imprecatory prayers mm-hmm. of the Psalms where we pray for God to bring judgment mm-hmm. uh, against the against wicked. The and evil. That, that, right. that, 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 that judgment could bring about their right. conversion, mm-hmm. but it could also be judgment. Right, and I think we have to be willing to pray that way. You cannot expect God to change the world if we're not asking Him to do so. So I think a lot of Christians are way too nice. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. we need to be able to pray boldly against wickedness in high places. If for God's will to be done, and we know what His Absolutely. will is because He put it mm-hmm. put His word. So let me ask you this: but before this podcast is even done, people are typing on their little things, sure. or I guess they're doing it on their phones. They're sending in the podcast, y'all, especially Scott and the guy that y'all had. Want a theocracy. <laughs> I mean, it is what crazy it, pants would say. I mean, that, that's what right. they would say. They are. And, I and, and I'm okay with it. But most of us are taught not to even think about that. Let me put it a different way. But well, yeah. Instead of theocracy, uh, I would say I not only want this, I would say I already have it. It's a matter of acknowledging it. A Christocracy. Okay. That means Christ is king. Christ is king. Like we don't make Jesus king of anything. He's already king. The Father's already done that. Now it's right. a matter of... Trusting him, loving him, submitting to him, that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. And discipling the nations means bringing the nations mm-hmm. under his lordship. Now, again, how does the church do that? We, you know, I talked about the sword of the word. You know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't go, right. uh, we don't get tanks and you know, right. uh, AR-15s and do it that. I mean, that's not the right. way the kingdom comes. Um, the, but eventually kingdoms, people will have to vote for the laws that match sure. up with God's word. Sure, that's you, right. You change that's the heart right. of the people, they go elect the people who... Are going to represent them, mm-hmm. and we have people who are literally. Well, I believe this this way, but I'm not going to vote for this okay. because oh, this I'm going to let. So, this is a whole other podcast. Right. We've got two right. more podcasts. To <laughs> you do said, right? But but, but <laughs> l- listen to me because this is also something I've thought a lot about. Right. You know, part of the problem we have today is is, and I don't want to offend anybody. You probably had some candidates on your show. We offend mm-hmm. people okay. every day. So. Well, yeah, you can tell. Them, we I don't do, really yeah. care about offending people. Right. <laughs> But we need better candidates to vote for, quite honestly. Oh, I mean, amen. we just do. I mean, there, there's some good Preach ones it. out there. There are some good people going into politics. But the reality is most good people don't want anything to do with politics. No. And I can understand why. Okay, But we need better candidates. Okay, but, but here's one of the things I've noticed, too. Let's say you've got a young man growing up in an evangelical church in the city of Birmingham. And he says at age 18, you know what I really want to do someday is I want to be governor of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Or I want to be on the Supreme Court of the United States. There are going to be people in his church who tell him, you should not want that. You want power, and, and power is bad. You know, you, right. you should, you know, you wanting this kind of position, that's not humble. You mm-hmm. know, you having that kind of ambition, mm. that's dangerous. Ooh, right. Yes, that right. hurts. Okay. Right. We need to encourage that. We need to right. say it's a good thing yeah. to have that ambition, that right. drive, that passion. And if, if you want to do this because you want to use the power that comes with the position to serve justice, 
Right. Absolutely. Let's train you. Let's get you there. How is it that we can have so many evangelical Christians in America and there's not a single evangelical on the Supreme Court? How can that happen? I agree completely. I think this is one of the, it's because we have not been striving for excellence. And if anything, we've discouraged it. Evangelical mm-hmm. culture is mediocre at best. <laughs> Maybe that's I, <laughs> I ran you want for tell us some stories. I'll just tell you one story on. that, that like I hadn't thought about in years. And I was working with a group of people and we were answering to, well, I mean, I could just say it was Gary Palmer. We were doing allied women stuff and it was delightful and it was so enjoyable but when the question was asked, who of you would like to run for office someday? I was like, I do. Like, I've always, I think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. And we were in a larger group and they're like, well, that is so prideful of you to even think you could do that. And I was like, what? Like, I was just telling you my heart. Like, I, right. wait, like, and didn't they ask? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were just asking. And yeah. I guess we're not supposed to answer the it question. It was rhetorical. Right. It was a rhetorical question and stupid me. I was like, right. oh, I do. I mean, I had a grandmother the women in my family, really godly woman, learned about politics from her, but also her walk with the Lord, whatever. Just a cool lady. So what grandmother is interested in politics? They're from Ohio, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So I grew up that this is normal. This is what you want to do. Right. And so to be told that, I just felt like this like check in my spirit, like, oh my Lord, what's wrong with me? Like, I know I'm a sinner mm-hmm. and I know I'm <laughs> rotten to the court. I'm saved by grace. But to tell me this is arrogant that I even right. want to do this. And then when I did run for office, then I was told by women, women, that I'm ruining my family's life. They have no idea how the Lord validated it. They don't know how the Lord affirmed it. They don't even know how the Lord finished it off, which was Didn't awesome. Didn't somebody else tell you that too? Right. I had two very prominent women tell me that I was ruining my kid's life and a man. <laughs> I needed to get out of the race. I needed to stay home. They didn't know that, that my husband was like the one that was like, do this. Right. They were for the other person though, right? <laughs> yes. But it was really like, <laughs> wait I think a second. Well, they you always begin do. to understand yeah. mm-hmm. why people, I am not saying I'm a good mm-hmm. person running. That is not what I'm saying. Right. I'm agreeing that as evangelicals, we can't do that to each mm-hmm. other when we say, mm-hmm. this is what the Lord's put on my heart. Because you got to have those people in office. I can remember just a couple of different situations where we're in the legislature. I happened to be in a powerful position at the time. And somebody wanted something that was just clearly ungodly. And they're like, well, we want this. And so-and-so wants this. And so-and-so is powerful. And I was like, well, it's never happening while I'm here, which, you know. Right. Didn't go well for <laughs> Just you. made them decide, well, you know, okay, well, if that's the problem, then right. we'll figure out how to get rid of you. But <laughs> it, it really is. We need godly people, men and women, who are going to say, you know what? Y'all can talk about this all the time, but God says this right here, and we're not doing it. Or we are going to do it. And that's... We're really missing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just tough, yeah. solid people, loving people, right. but just say right. this is right, this is wrong. Move on. Do you have another subject where we can agree? Because we're not yeah. going to do that yeah. one. Yeah, I, I do think Christians are very suspicious of other Christians when they're seeking positions of power. Mm-hmm. I think we have demonized success. You know, and we mm-hmm. we do this to the wealthy too, not just not just those mm-hmm. in political power, mm-hmm. but we do it with the wealthy as well. And I think that's also a problem. Uh, so you know, somewhere between. Uh, idolizing wealth and demonizing wealth is is the Christian view. Those are kind of the extremes that people fall into. And I would say the same is true of political power. There, there are just and righteous ways to uh, to exercise political power. And but but part of the problem is that we it's been so long since we've really had faithful Christian people involved in statecraft that mm-hmm. we don't really know how to do it anymore. So I, I don't think the answer necessarily is to go have a bunch of Christians run for every office right, on the ballot. Right, I, I right. think we might probably need to work our way up, or evangelical people. We probably <laughs> right. need to work our way up. But uh, it, it's a shame. Just like it's a shame we're not producing uh, musicians like Bach anymore, it's a shame we're not producing great statesmen anymore. We used to. What happened? How did we lose that? And that's something we've mm-hmm. got to figure out. All right, I've got one of the last questions. I know we're going to have, wow. to, do a, <clears throat> we're going to, have to do a part two and maybe a part three. Yeah. Um, one of the big arguments against Christians being involved, you know, the sit down and shut up argument is Romans 13, you know, mm. Yo, and, obey and the that governing one's obey the governing authorities, even if the governing authority is just completely, use your word, pagan, they tell you to wear a mask pagan, or put, anti-God, yeah. this is, you will say this, you will bake this cake, you will, you will recognize this, you will let little boys in the locker room with your daughters, you will do these things because God put us in charge. So what is our argument back? I mean, I've heard well, local it, 
Christian pastors. Just so happened, I think they preached it all at the same time because the government, yeah. the Obama administration, put stuff out for the pastors. It was right. they did. headed up by the COVID people. Yep. Um, so what do we, what do we say to that? I, I think it's a misunderstanding of what it is. Yeah. I think yeah, I think I think government is supposed to be under God's sovereignty, under Jesus' sovereignty, and anything they do outside of that is illegitimate. Um, well, our default so, should be to obey the civil magistrate and to recognize that whatever civil magistrate we have was put there by God. And so, if okay. we have a really evil ruler, we should probably recognize that's the judgment of God upon us. So, so okay. if we have really bad leadership, one of the things we need to do is repent. Most likely, we probably got the leadership we deserve. Quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time, Romans 13 is not just descriptive, it's also normative. And it describes the civil magistrate as God's minister, or mm -hmm. God's deacon is actually the word that's used. And so the civil magistrate has an obligation to wield his power of the sword, to punish the evildoer, and to praise the righteous mm -hmm. in accordance with God's standards of justice Correct. and righteousness. And so when the civil magistrate deviates from that, there's a sense in which he loses his legitimacy. Now, we may still have to obey him in a lot of cases, or it may be very unwise, for example, to disobey right. you know, certain laws and, and create a, a, a fight you can't win, for example. But obviously, we know things like if you're ever, um, if the civil magistrate ever requires you to do something that is sinful, mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord. We have a higher authority that we obey, and right. so we can. Right. And you're, uh, now we, we're back to the thing of people being crucified for not burning the incense or whatever right. it is. That's right. To, That's right. To Caesar, because yeah. now we'd be like, yeah. oh, "That's no big deal." The well, other thing is, Romans 13 was written when you had <clears throat> Caesar. You basically had a a a a kind of pagan monarchy. Uh, in our form of government in the United States, you know this, and this is partly due to the leavening influence of the kingdom down through the centuries, is we have, a, we have a form of government, a system of government, in which all of us have certain forms of political power. Uh, and so it's not, so there's, there are various ways that we can exert checks and balances. One of the things I love about the American system is that if you believe a law is unjust, you can disobey it and challenge it in court. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean that, you know, the civil rights movement used that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think that's something that Christians ought to avail themselves of as well. Now it doesn't mean you'll get a, the verdict you hope for, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, there's no guarantee the judge will be a righteous judge, but we have a lot of tools within the American political system because mm -hmm. of the influence of Christianity, uh, on our system that we can use, you know, various levels of government that are to hold one another in check and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. checks and balances and whatnot. And all of those things are very helpful for us in this kind of case. So there, you know, and you can look at, you know, the all the COVID stuff. Just one example of this is what John MacArthur's church did out right. in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, and and at first they shut down. Uh, you know, and of course a lot of churches did because you didn't really know what COVID was right, right, right. first. But then when they kind of figured out what was going on, they defied, I, I think it was their city, maybe their state mm -hmm. laws and started to meet again and challenged it in court and mm -hmm. won. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of options for us on the table as American Christians, just like Paul as a citizen of the Roman empire, had certain options on the table, certain rights, right. we have certain rights and we should not be afraid of using those rights. Um, when we see that there's an opportunity to leverage them for good. Yeah, I always thought it was interesting. MacArthur was one of those guys in the years past who was lambasting the founding fathers for not mm -hmm. obeying the magistrates. Right, right. So he kind of got a... Yeah. He was anti-American yeah. war for independence, yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah. it's almost like I, I think he's, right. he's, he's rethought that. Yeah, I think yeah. he's got a little bit of a change on that. I'm, I'm thinking now. So that is... A, that is so um, fast forward, some of the proper ways would be asking the magistrates to stand for God's righteousness. Right. And that's from defense of liberty against tyrants and those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. So, you know, my expectation a lot, I don't have a lot of faith, but my wish was that the state of Alabama, which is the proper place for us, would take more stands for God's word, yep. the Christocracy, yep. and tell the federal government, well, y'all can do whatever you want with all these things, and you can rule, and you can tell us, and you can threaten us, but put it in Alabama way, we ain't going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Am I wrong? For wishing that or thinking that or hoping that is that's that what we ought to be thing? praying for and working for. Absolutely. You know, let's uh let's make Alabama the most Christocratic state in the union and go from there. Let's disciple Alabama and go from there. That's so good. Can we stop with that? But not yeah. <laughs> I mean that oh, is like gosh, a mind drop. You're gonna say know, something get I us know. off. I just there's so many Can like for part B. Here's a yeah. here's a note. Part B, okay. whenever paper, pastor can come pad. back. Silly yellow pad, because now he's a very busy okay. man. And let me just say um <laughs> oh, 
if you want to listen to a great sermon about wealth and what to do with it, you talked about the demonization of it. Mm -hmm. This is completely Mm -hmm. separate for Mm -hmm. people who want to listen. Was that like September last year that you preached that? So you probably—it's it's been the so last busy. few months. I don't remember. Those the are date, really good I did, sermons. I preached a couple sermons on money. We were yeah. out of town, and he had some really interesting things to say about money. That, like, if I had my notebook, you would see that. Like, oh wait, I preached that sermon. Yes, you did. I explained why we need more Christian billionaires. It was to do some great. good things. You got to listen to it. I agree. It was it was fantastic. So if we had more Christian billionaires, we could get more Christian evangelicals elected. elected. Yes. I'm going to start writing out the lust for Congress. (laughs) 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 And local Alabama. (laughs) And unfiltered. And Scott Beeson will all be like, and we are his spokespeople. (laughs) Can you (laughs) tell This was awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you all you. very much for having yeah. me. So yeah, much. You know, it's really I mean, it, are your minds spinning until yeah, like we can get them back again? I, that was yeah. great. It, you know, kind of validated a lot of things I believed and and, and learned a lot. And I appreciate Connected you so doc, much. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I let ask. you in the building. I know. I, mean, <laughs> I know. I was standing at the knocking on my door until he walked out. Thousand hour talking. Next time you're not getting in. I love that you said. Rich validated some things. You've never asked me and Amy Beth to validate <laughs> for Why's you. Why's that? Y'all, y'all validate hey. most things, I believe, about women. Uh-huh. No, my word. <laughs> Scott Beeson. You know I play it. Laurie. Laurie Beeson. <laughs> I love you. She's trained me. I mean, you should Look, see me years ago. Look, now you gotta ago. go drive the money bus with that one. Here. Rich, I appreciate you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank y'all so, for having me. All right. You want to close no, us out? you close us out. Hey, well, thank y'all for watching, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tell other people about this program. Go to all the places where you can find this podcast. Give us a good rating, a thumbs up, however that is done. Don't forget 1819news.com powers us. You can sign up for the daily detail and their newsletter. Absolutely want to do that. We appreciate you watching. We'll see y'all again next week.